these last few weeks, the reason why I bring that up is because we have been going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've just finished chapter 4, and we've been going on to the book of Hebrews for, what, six months now? And so we've been taking our time, and we, we take little rabbit trails along the way. And the reason why we do that is because within every scripture that we read in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's so much more behind it. Especially as we get into the New Testament, we have, we have a whole epoch of history with God's interaction with Israel behind what's being said. And if you're looking at scripture from a purely interpretive perspective, like if I was going to write a commentary on the book of Hebrews, I would do what's called exegesis, which is what was the author intending to say to these people at that time. And you look at the context, you look at what's going on around that, and you develop the ideas based on that. In preaching, in the context of community, that's, that forms a foundation, but I also am going to add to it at times an eisegesis, which is taking what is not there explicitly, but taking what is there in the full context of Scripture, and I will at times insert this is the heart of God behind what's being said here. Here's why what's going on is important. And so I'll expand beyond what is the obvious meaning of the text into looking at the full context of Scripture at times to help interpret what it is what we're doing for today's time. And that's a hermeneutical principle that I use because the Spirit of God is alive today. Jesus Christ is alive today, and the full revelation of God is alive today. The full revelation of God was not alive in the Old Testament. Uh, God, of course, was alive. God, in all of his fullness, has always been available to us. His glory has always been there. But the fullness of God wasn't fully known to the people of God until Jesus Christ came. So that's why the very first chapter of Hebrews, it says, but now we have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ, his Son. And so because of that revelation, because of that better revelation, when we look at scriptures, we are now interpreting through the lens of the revealed Jesus Christ as Savior. And he helps us to see the entirety of human history and why the purposes of God were through Israel and the other, that, the other things. That's important for today because we are talking about uh, the high priest. We're going to go to chapter 5. And, and what a high priest does, we, we finished the year last year with a sermon on the, the priesthood. And for all those who are here uh, you know, you guys kind of know what that was like. For those who weren't, just as a, as a quick summary, in the garden, you and I, we were made in God's image to be his image bearers, to reflect him into all creation. And in his image, we are meant to be priests or rulers that had dominion to, and were called to, to subdue the earth and, and multiply ourselves so that we bring the glory of God into all creation. And God first did that through anointing Adam and Eve, through the formation of them through water and earth, and also through the formation of them by breathing the Spirit into them. The first anointing that's mentioned isn't using the word anointing, but it is what's happening when he breathes the Spirit into Adam and Eve. It's the first anointing of God. And we trace the anointing, that idea throughout Scripture, to help us to see that one of the main purposes that you and I have is to help bring about God's glory through the Holy Spirit that's in us. First and mainly and always through forgiving and the, and the, the presentation of the gospel. So we, we, we always have an opportunity of revealing the spirit of God when we forgive other people. And then also when we declare the gospel of how it is that we can have re-communion with God and bring people back to the garden. And so if you look at, for instance, the way that they created anointing oil in Leviticus, they created it with cinnamon, they created it with these amazing fresh-smelling barks. <laughs> And they created it with oil and, uh, and with, with olives. And these things were all, um, looks like the, uh, maybe the batteries have gone out. And these things have all been, um, well, I'm just going to speak really loudly today. Uh, actually, I'll use a microphone. <clears throat> there we go. Is that better? 
Okay, so we know from the anointing that those things that God had made uh, to help create anointed oil were all things that must be, first of all, also crushed in order to create the smell and to create the, uh, the, uh, the oil itself. And so as a result of these things, we know that the anointing is, is coming through a sense of crushing. Um, in addition to this, when those things were crushed, they produced like the fragrant smells. They weren't there in, in their whole form, but when you crush these things, you had the, the smell of the fragrance. And it was to be a reminder of Eden itself. And so we're showing that these concepts are out through Scripture, these, these very practical things that priests did were a call back to us returning people back to the garden, returning ourselves back to the garden and evoking within us that we are always made to be in a garden community of Eden called delight, of union with God. We were seeing him face to face. The first thing that Adam and Eve saw was the face of their father kissing them and blowing his breath into them, blowing his spirit into them. And that was within the context of a garden that all things are flourishing in that place. And so the anointing of the priest is to help remind people and bring people back into the awareness of the garden that is God, that is what we are called to be as rulers to bring people into the garden and subdue the world to make it all a garden outside of chaos. And so that was, uh, that was kind of the main message at that time. And it was the, the, the point of it was to show our purpose uh, in the Lord. And so uh, I'm an engineer by background. I went to Georgia Tech. And, and I was kind of asked, or what's the point of that? Like why, why or, or how functionally things work? And I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that message today. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm going to preface it also with Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. And then go into essentially verse 1. So, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet was without sin. So let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Jesus is the, the great high priest, is fulfilling the original Adam and Eve uh, mandate on his life by helping people to, uh, to return back to God by giving mercy and grace. And so the idea is that you and I, we have weaknesses. We have limitations physically, but also because of the, the sin nature that's dying within us, we have a proclivity in some parts of our life toward rebellion against God. And so we come to him in his presence and we say, hey, I'm weak in this area. And he was tempted in those same ways. In those same ways, he also received grace, which is divine power and divine ability to fulfill what the call is. So he received grace in that place. And so therefore, he knows exactly what to give us in our weakness. And so we come to him and we say, you know, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get past this temptation or I don't know if I can be faithful today when I'm called to so we just acknowledge our weakness. And Jesus Christ, as the, the high priest, says, you're forgiven, you're, you're clean, let me now give you grace. And that, that grace is the Spirit of God coming into our life to empower us to do the very thing that God wants us to do. Uh, grace is not unmerited favor. That's what we've been taught in the church. That's maybe a part of it. Uh, but Jesus was fully merited. Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was always able, you know, to receive all that God had for him, and he grew in grace and stature before the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. And so if grace is unmerited favor, why is it that Jesus grew in grace? 
And so that, that's where there's a faultiness in that definition. Grace is a divine empowerment to actually fulfill the divine purpose that we have. To fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill, to fulfill all love. Uh, to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit for signs, wonders, miracles, these kind of things. Um, and so Jesus grew in this grace. He, he did it because you know, he was the son of God. He did it because of what he suffered. He did it because of his dependency on God. He didn't do it because he didn't deserve it. <laughs> and so <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is what Jesus showed us. And then now in verse uh, 5, sorry, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Every high priest is selected from among men, and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently, and now this is the high priest of the Old Testament. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are able and are, and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. So at the time. Uh, the Old Testament, God had instituted this priesthood. And this priesthood, you guys can think of it, if, if you know, you're not familiar with this terminology, uh, think of it as like a, as like a holy doctor. Uh, so, you know, sin is like a disease, and it prevents us from obeying God and living in His glory and loving and experiencing Him and, and fulfilling all kinds of wonderful cool things. Um, and that, that disease eventually decays us, and so we lose glory, we lose the image of God over the course of time. Well, these priests were set up in what was called a temple, and people could come up to them, and like a doctor, the, the priest would identify what the issue was. It was some type of sin, and then they would prescribe the antidote. They would prescribe the solution, which would be a sacrifice. They had doves, they had goats, they had uh, other types of animals that they would sacrifice because in the blood of these animals was life. And to show that the sin is... Valuable, but to show you that the sin is is separating us from God, there was there was the needing of the, the pouring out of this blood to show that this this is this is the result that sin leads to death, and the result of sin therefore leads to the pouring out of life. God set up sacrifices so that there wouldn't have to be the pouring out of human life, but that we would know the importance of it by pouring out a very important element of their life. In agriculture, was these animals, these some of them like were, were, were pets at home. So it was a horrible thing to have to go and, and do these things and watch these things. It's, it's horrible to our Western mindset that doesn't see these things on a daily basis. It was also horrible for them because they, they dearly love these animals. It was their provision. And so when they sinned, it cost them greatly. But the priests were there to help them to what's called atone for their sin. When they offered these sacrifices to God, God would then say, all right, I don't see them anymore. I don't see the sin on you anymore. And my blessing remains upon you. It was very clear at that time that when, that when people sinned, the blessing of God would no longer remain upon them. That, that he would lift his, his hands, so to speak, or that he would allow for disease to come in. He would allow for enemies to come in on a nationhood. And so what he was doing is saying, hey, these priests are set up to help you make sure that you can always remain in favor and blessing and in my glory. So let me give you guys some scriptures to kind of help paint a more full picture from that. The, the priests themselves at the time, again, think of them like doctors. Any doctors in the room might, might like that. Uh, the, the priests themselves, they had to be perfect in their own right. They, they had to have no external blemish on them. And so we can look at Leviticus. Don't you guys love Leviticus? 
Leviticus 21.10. I think I told you guys uh, back last year that if anyone would read the whole book of Leviticus in three days, I would give them $100. And no one took me up on that. <laughs> and so, uh, or I think we said we talked about it. I told my girls that if they could do it in three days, I would give them $100. And none of them took me up on it. <laughs> there was a, a scholar who once said that uh, after doing a commentary on Leviticus, the reason why Leviticus is there is to help give us hope that we never have to read Leviticus again, that we can have hope in Jesus Christ. And so, <laughs> so let's look at Leviticus chapter 21. We're going to look at 10, verse 15. And again, this idea is that the priest himself had to be perfect to give an idea of how to approach a God, so how to approach our God. So the high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, must not let his hair become unkept or tear his clothes. And so he had to have combed hair. You know, the mothers in this room would love that. And he couldn't have torn clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean, even for his father and mother. And so if his mother and father died, he can never go into the room and see them. Nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it, because he has been dedicated to the, by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. And so this is showing that uh, there's more to it than that. I'm going to leave it at that, though. Uh, there's more places where it would say that he couldn't even have a broken arm. He could have no sense of defilement. He had in every way to be, to be you know, perfect, to approach God. Additionally to that, in Leviticus 16, verse 32 and 34, uh, it shows that he could not have any sense of sin at all. And uh, so Leviticus 16, again, one more time, looking at uh, verse 32. <clears throat> The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priest and all the people of the community, including himself. That's what Hebrews is talking about. And so he and all the priests and all the community of God, they all needed to have sacrifices made, atonement made, because they were all in some type of sin. They had all fallen short of the glory of God. And so these priests, they had to make atonement even for themselves to enter into God's presence. I, I say this because God was showing us very clearly through the, the past pattern that in order to engage with him, you have to be perfect. You, you have got to be completely clean and pure. You, you cannot have any blemish. You cannot have any spot on you. Uh, if you were, and if you did have these things, then you were not worthy to enter into his presence. If these things happen to you, then, then the difficulties of life, they would compound upon you. You get mold in your house. You would get disease in your lungs. Uh, anger and violence would rage in your family. And then eventually your nation uh, would rise up against other nations, and nations would rise up against you. And eventually the land itself would spit you out as a nation if you collectively were not coming together and walking in holiness before God. God made that very clear in Deuteronomy 28. There's blessing before you and there's curse before you. If you want to remain blessed, here's the priest like a doctor to help heal the sin issue in your own life. And, and I think for, for a lot of us, for me, that's highly intimidating. Uh, I've known my own life, my own weaknesses, my own scatterbrainedness, my own, you know, my own sin issues to know that there's no part of me you know, th that would have been worthy to enter into the presence of God. And even just if one speck of me is, is blemished, then, then no part of me is allowed into the presence of God. 
And, and for all of us as a congregation, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to say this in a, in a blithe way, uh, I hope that you have recognized areas of sin in your life. <laughs> if not, then we should have a counseling session and, and see how other people may uh, view you. <laughs> you guys do that SWAT 360 analysis sometimes at work where you're asking all your colleagues and coworkers to give you a you know, a view of who you are and how it is to work with you, that's a good idea, you know, to, to give you a sense of self-reflection enough. Uh, all of you, in some ways, have had sin issues in your life. And, and, and so, based upon what we have seen as God's revelation in the Old Covenant, you were not, therefore, allowed to have communion with God. You were forbidden to have communion with God. God is absolutely glorious. It says that the heavens declare His glory, and the reason why that was the psalmist's cry is because you look at the heavens and they, they, they can't be moved by humanity. It was this idea that the heavens were so far above the earth that they were perfect. And, and in their perfection, they're like God. They reveal His glory because they're perfect they're set. And, and you can't change it. But then Isaiah has an encounter in Isaiah 6. And the, the angels that are around the, the throne, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All of creation is filled with His glory. All of creation. Everything in heaven and on earth is filled with his glory. Every tree, every beautiful river, every plant, every fresh-smelling thing from those gardens, and every person has a mark of his glory on them. The, the epitome of all creation was mankind. It was the, the, it was the reason why he created everything was to reveal his love to people. We as image bearers of God, we are the most accurate depiction of his glory here on earth that has been created. Now, now God is his ultimate glory, so we're not, we're not like him like that. But his glory is revealed through creation, and we are the pinnacle of creation, and so we are called to be revelators of his glory. That, that's part of the priesthood. That's part of what it is like to be walking with God. And so when we, when we are walking uprightly, when we are walking like Jesus, we are revealing the glory of God most clearly. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways to reveal His glory. But in, in walking and following His Spirit and, and having the character of Christ, we are revealing the Lord's glory as, as human beings can the most clearly. As we, as we turn away from God and become bent and become fascinated with sin and fascinated with the things of this world, we, begun, we begin to reflect those glories. They're, they're far lesser glories, obviously. And... and they had a glory because they were created. But they are so inglorious because of their bitterness and their corruption that they shouldn't even be called glory. They, they wouldn't be allowed in God's presence. They, they, they're corrupted. And when the Lord returns, and this is part of the wrath of God to come, those things will be purged out of all creation. And so, for now, uh, all of us are, are bending ourselves back to the Lord. And, and we see this first encapsulated by what Jesus did. And here in this passage, in verse 1, this is the culmination of Leviticus. Is Jesus Christ now is the great high priest who is making sacrifices and gifts unto God now in the presence of God for all humanity for all time. And so whereas before the high priest every year and, and throughout the year was making sacrifices because you know we kept on messing up and, and humanity kept on messing up. Now because Jesus... He became the Lamb of God. He became the great high priest. He offered the greatest sacrifice and greatest gift there can be. It has cleansed all humanity for all time of sin. 
even non-believers. I'm not trying to be controversial. That's that's the gospel. You know, people may not know it yet. They have been reconciled to God if they turn to Him. I'm not a universalist. They have to turn to the Lord to receive that forgiveness. But that forgiveness is on them if they choose it. Everyone has the option of forgiveness. Every part of creation, every one of us has the opportunity to bend back. Everyone inside. And so the, the great high priest Jesus came to offer sacrifices for all of us, for all mankind, so that we, seeing his, his, his death and resurrection, would enter into him and then become like him as a priest and offer that same gift to everyone else through the proclaiming of the gospel and through our own lives in many other ways. And that's amazing news. This is kind of like the, the why behind it, because now, because of Jesus, you and I are able to enter into his glory anytime we want to. And, and you may not know what, you know, you may have your own definition of glory. Uh, in the South, glory. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, you know, glory. You know, and, and, and you know, maybe... Maybe something beautiful that you're aware of is, is glorious. Uh, in, the, in the scriptures, glory, it, it means heaviness. Literally, the, the word kabod in the Hebrew means, means heaviness. Uh, it means a, a reputation or an honor that is, is, is weighty. Uh, it means someone's action, someone's uh, you know, home. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's weighty. It's, it's glorious. It's wealthy. And, and so God, he... He wants to show how great is his glory by creating an entire universe, massive like this, with stars everywhere, trillions upon trillions everywhere, 13.6 billion light years across at least. And it shows, hey, this is part of my glory. Look at what I can do. Let me also give you creation. But the most glorious thing that God granted to us, in John 17, verse 1, Jesus says, Father, glorify your Son, uh, so that your son may glorify you. And that glory was completed when Jesus gave up his life and showing that the, the life of God is far more glorious than the life of the world. And that, that is the most astonishing glory that there is. A sacrificial life of love. Now, the most glorious thing that you can do in your life is to lay down your life for another. And, and there's so many ways to do that. Through forgiveness, through serving, through being hidden a lot of times, through being unknown, as we give to others, through, through doing things in secret that other people don't see, through humility, through just faithfulness in everyday life. There's so many ways that we do lay down our lives that you do do that. But that is the epitome of glory, is Jesus Christ on the cross. And for us to enter into the high priesthood of Christ, that is how we do it. We, we constantly lay down our lives, our preferences, the right to our rights. We give up these things daily. <laughs> and when we do, we enter into glory. You know, I, I had this impression from a lot of my life that glory was this experiential manifestation of ecstasy. And at times that is the case, where the glory of the Lord manifests in such an effectual way that, that I, I've fallen on my face before. I, I've been unable to get off the ground because the glory of the Lord was so heavy upon me. And I was experiencing this ecstatic experience of God, so much so that I, I didn't know if I was in my body or outside of my body. And, and I've like lost my mind, so to speak in that place. And I thought that that was the only way that God revealed his glory. But that's not the case. Because the scriptures say that heaven's declared his glory. That the whole earth is filled with glory. That you and I, as the epitome of creation, Jesus laying down his life, that is glory as well. 
And so a lot of times, especially, I'm more of an experiential person. I, I like to, speak, to, to seek after the experiences of God sometimes because that's part of how I'm wired. But not everyone's wired that way. And if we set up a church where that's the only way that we experience God's glory, then we're going to miss out on all the other ways. You know, of taking care of our planet, for instance. That is glorious because that is our call to make it into a garden. Uh, by, by being truthful to people in politics, by being truthful to people in our dealings, by being honest with our negotiations, by not taking bribes and these kind of things, by, by not being greedy, but instead being generous, uh, by letting go of violence and instead offering them forgiveness, by seeking the best in one another and seeing one another no longer according to the flesh. These are all ways that we are restoring the garden and the glory of God all around us. And that, that's our calling. That's, that's our unique wiring with God. <clears throat> There's a lot more that I was going to say, but I actually kind of want to move on to something else. Um, God's, God's glory is uh, its also what he's after the most, more than anything else, is his own praise, is, in, is his own worship, and his own glorification. People have a, a problem with this because it, from our human perspective, this seems self-serving, but it's not like, you know, imagine if you will God, and he's perfect. He's massive. He's full of love. There's nothing imperfect in him. It is the, the most right thing for him to do to seek glory for himself. Because there can be no other glory than him. Anything less than that isn't him. Any, any smidge of glory that's just smaller than him in any way is a lesser glory. He can't seek that because that's not who he is. And so we who are in his image... When we seek after other glories, the glory of man, the glory of work, the glory of our hands, those are so far less than who he is. After a while, we begin to feel sick. We begin to feel diseased. We, we begin to feel less than, thin. We begin to feel worn out. We begin to feel these things because we are not entering into the fullness of what we are created to be, which is just glorifying God. That's why when, when the saints around the throne in Revelation, they all throw down their crowns and they, they proclaim to you, God, all glory to you. We see your glory. There is no greater glory. We want you to have all the glory, all the power, and all the honor. And the cool thing is for us, and this is the big why behind what I'm trying to get at, is that when we are restored to that place, we are restored to fullness. We are restored to wholeness. When we are giving glory to God through all these things that I mentioned and we're going to get into more in the weeks ahead, then you are being restored into your image and you are filled with fullness. And you can expect the experience of it. Sometimes that comes later, but that should be something that we're after at times. And it's all available to us through that. And so this is the, the great hope that we have, the great why, is because then when we see God and who he is, we become more like him. When we are fulfilling all righteousness, when we are living by his glory, we become more like him, which is the point of all things. We are to, to, be, we are to grow in Christ's likeness. You know, this is our destiny to become conformed to the image of Christ. This is how you do it. It's by, it's by bending back into your glory, by, by bending back into giving all things to the Lord and, and, and bettering the world like this. There's a glory to that. And, and that's, that's ultimately the reason why behind it. Like, it's the greatest act of love that God did. And as a priest, Jesus restoring us back to now being able to enter into God's presence. Before, in Israel's time period, they couldn't, they couldn't see God face to face. You know, the, the, the longing of our heart, of, of everyone's heart, is, is to worship God and see Him as He really is. If you haven't experienced that, ask God 
ask God to give you that. Get, get on your knees and just worship the Lord throughout your day. He wants to give you that. It's what you were made for. It's His glory. Jesus prays specifically for you to receive glory in John chapter 17. His glory. So that you would be complete, lacking in nothing. And this is the great gift that Jesus has given to us through what He did. It's also the great gift that you have to give others in being a priest, in sharing the gospel, in forgiving others, in living a glorious lifestyle in all these other ways. You help people to see and imagine again the God who loves them. And so I, I can't think of a higher purpose in your life than that. This is better than, than any job that you have. Whatever job you have, that, that's, that's part of what you're supposed to do is work that job. You know, but that's only an aspect of your greater glory, which is being a priest before the world, a royal priesthood. You are the kings and queens of this world. We're going to have an election this, last, this next year, which is going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess because it's not heaven. It's, it's a lesser glory. Don't pay much attention to it. Seriously, don't. Instead, pay attention to the glory that you have to give as a royal priesthood. You are the kings and queens. You are the ones that help people to live a shalom, peaceful life. That's your call. It's not going to happen without you. That's, I mean, we, we know that God is sovereign, but God chooses to work through people. He limits himself in that way to work through people. So you guys have it all. So with that in mind, uh, we're running late. I, I just love preaching to you guys. Um, so we're going to take about seven minutes. <clears throat> and I want you to be still before the Lord. And then we're going to break out into to pairs. Uh, but before we do that, I want you guys to be still before the Lord for a moment. And I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to hear from the Lord yourself. So, Father, I, I love you so very much. Every knee will bow in the name of Jesus. Every time you come, we'll confess that you are Lord Jesus in heaven and on earth. You are the one true God. And we give our allegiance to you. And, Father, with that allegiance, I ask that you would silence all other voices in the room right now. Father, in so many ways, we have listened to other voices in our lives apart from your own. And I ask God that you would forgive us for those things, but also silence those voices within and out. Father, I, you know, I ask that you rebuke the enemy right now. And I declare that you be silent in this place. Father, I ask you to raise up faith in this room right now to hear from you. I ask for grace as a divine gift and empowerment to hear your voice. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. And what I ask you to answer these two questions. One, is there any sin in my life that I am not aware of right now that you want me to simply acknowledge before you and that you would want to now forgive and cleanse? Spirit of God, right now, I ask that you would come and reveal that in a context of love and mercy and acceptance and belonging. Let us hear your voice gently leading us away from that sin to acknowledge that before you. Hmm. Scripture says that when we confess our sins one to another, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So Holy Spirit, come right now and cleanse those places 
where we had accepted a different way, a lesser way, where we had been disobedient. And I ask God that you would now fill us with grace so that we can now walk upright in that way now before you. Thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace, that we are never outcast from your presence because of Jesus and his blood, that we don't have to be perfect any longer, that we can come blemished, we can come bent, we can come in the worst of states in your presence now, boldly because of Jesus Christ. The door is always open for us. Father, I ask now also for the second question. But I ask, is there one action that you would have us to positively add to our life that would bring about a greater level of holiness and glory? If that is gardening, if that is walking with you in the prayer time of the day, if that is, you, if that is calling a friend, if that is mowing someone's lawn, if that is asking someone to cut a coffee, if that is spending more time with you, would I also ask if there's something negative you know, that you want to, to drop from our life? There's movies that we watch, music that we listen to. If there are things like this in our lives, God, that you're wanting us to cut out. Whatever those things are, would I ask that you would highlight just one thing right now that we can spend the next days cultivating. 